This is Jess. And this is Erin. And we are your sacred witness. Our mission is to see a world where everyone knows, lives, and walks out their truth. And today we have a returning guest, Leanna Shanti. And many of you have listened to the first podcast that we had with her a few months back. And we'll have that again in our notes. But just to refresh you, um, Leanna is a spiritual teacher. She's a shaman. And she really focuses on women's empowerment, conscious partnerships, and conscious parenting. And honestly, so much more. Um, she is just, I mean, really such an amazing, um, intuitive guide for so many people. And she has a weekly um, illuminations, um, she calls it. And it's like a weekly forecast that she studies the neutrino fields. And it's truly like, it's just an amazing, every Monday morning, I talked about this in our first podcast, both Jess and I did, that we look forward to this forecast every single week, every Monday morning. And um, it just really sets our week off and really gives that good foundation that, you know, that we really crave and that we need um, for that week. And anyway, so we just want to welcome Leanna back to your sacred witness and um, just welcome you back. So thank you for being here again, Leanna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be back with you ladies today. Yeah, well, we're happy that you're here. Mm -hmm. And your first podcast, uh, so many people listened to it. And I know that so many people reached out and so they, they listened to it multiple times. And it doesn't surprise me because your teachings, they just, they go really deep and they hit the core for so many people. And I know today we're going to be talking about a very core issue as well, a very foundational issue that I have no doubt is going to resonate with so many people um, out there too that are listening um, to this. And I'm really looking forward to really digging into this topic that we're going to talk about, um, the mother wound, and what that is, how do we know if we have it, <laughs> what it looks like, and, and really how to go about navigating you know, through this, and, and really what that means in our life, and how to heal from this, and do we even have to heal from this and everything that's going to surround this? Um, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of resistance for a, from a lot of people um, listening to this. And um, so just, you know, we just obviously want to bring this to light because it's something that really needs to needs to happen on the individual level, but on the collective level as well. And so we're just excited to, to dig in. So, so where do you want to start, Leanna? I know this is like a huge topic. So. <laughs> You know, I've been working with people and healing their mother wound for a very long time now, so I feel like the best way to start is just to get the basics out there, um, which is just a couple of sentences, really. Yes, everyone has a mother wound. Every single person listening, male or female, has a mother wound, and we'll talk a bit more about that in depth in a little bit. Um, everyone needs to heal mother wound if they want to have their most empowered life because it is the number one block to living your fullest life, stepping out into your light, and really being in your full power. Um, and mother wound absolutely engenders some kind of fear, even hearing the word, definitely some resistance. And mainly that's just because we have this inner loyalty to our mothers, most people, but of course that's not everyone. 
most people. And there's a fear that if we begin to look deep into the core of mother wound, that in some way we're dishonoring uh, the person who maybe cared for us, raised us, um, gave us, you know, whatever it is we did get in our childhood. And so there's extreme resistance to that from a lot of people. And then there's just a lot of people who don't really have an awareness that mother wound even is a thing. But it is one of the two core wounds that we get in childhood, of course, mother wound and father wound. So that just basically sums up the fact that, yes, everyone has mother wound. And, yes, it absolutely needs to heal if we if we have a desire to live our most authentic and empowered life. So um, that's that's pretty much the best place to start. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but let me give you a breakdown, you know, to make it easier for people to digest some of this and and get it really into their core. And I'll just let you know what mother wound actually is. So mother wound is basically something you can think of as an injury to the psyche of a child, of all of us as children, that results from a disruption in our relationship with the mother. Now, that doesn't mean anything very, very specific. It just means that mothers have four primary roles, a role of protecting us, a role of nurturing us, and as we get older, a role of empowering us, and then the final role of initiation, which is initiating us into our full power. And I can tell you out of the thousands of women that I've worked with, and, and many men as well, initiation never happened. Women were never initiated into their full adult empowered self in their full light, and that's primarily because our mothers were not either. They don't understand that that's even a role or how to even do it. So those are the four essential roles. So any disruption in the relationship with the mother regarding those four roles results in damage, results in this wound. Now, mother wound is something that is very complex because it involves so many different aspects of our life. And they're traumas. It's traumas that also pass down from generation to generation. So we're actually receiving mother wounding from our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, our great-grandfathers. And, sorry, our great-grandfathers and grandfathers are also receiving mother wound. And I think that's the other thing I wanted to mention is that mother wound is not specific to women. If you're a mother and you have a son, this could affect your son. If you're a mother and you have a daughter, this could affect your daughter. It is male, female. It is something that we all experience. But it's not about blame. And I think that's the most essential thing to really instill in our heart before we embark on a a mother wound healing because we're not blaming. We're not looking back and saying, um, my mom made all these mistakes. She didn't nurture me. She didn't protect me. Or she harmed me. You know, some people grow up with with mothers who actually um, are abusive emotionally, physically, or maybe narcissistic or emotionally distant, maybe alcoholic. I mean, it gets the gamut. I mean, it's huge. But we're not looking to blame. We're not looking to say, oh, oh that's why I'm, I'm a failure right now, or that's why I can't have a good relationship. It's my mom's fault. Because blame doesn't do anything other than take responsibility for ourselves and put it on someone else. But at the same time, the dangerous zone that a lot of healing goes into is, oh, well, we'll just leave it in the past because the past is gone and it doesn't affect me now. I'm I'm just going to forgive my mom. She didn't know better. And the classic line of, she did the best she could. Mm, Right, right. Most, yeah, that's the most important thing we have to erase Mm. from our vocabulary. She did the best she could. That's pretty much true of everyone because if you think about it, 
we're all doing what we can do day by day based on what we are capable of. Yeah. I, I really, I've never personally met anyone that says, you know what, I'm going to wake up today and be the worst person I can be. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to purposely do bad at everything. I'm going to be a horrible mom today, a horrible wife, a horrible uh, teacher. I'm just going to, you know, intentionally stick at life today. Nobody right. does that. Right. Right. So, to, to, right. <laughs> so to say she did the best she could, that is such, that is such just glossing over mm. and bypassing of anything real. It's like, that's a, that's a given. Of course, everybody's doing what they can with what they have at the time. Yeah. But if somebody breaks into your house, robs you blind and, you know, hurts your animals on the way out the door, for that person, clearly they're wounded. Clearly they have severe dysfunction in their life and perhaps mental disorders and who knows what kind of abuse. And we can talk about that person. If we want to heal that person, we can intervene and help that robber. But does that mean you didn't get robbed? No. Right. Does that mean you don't have trauma? No. Does that mean your animals did not get harmed? No. So why are we talking about, okay, well, that robber did did the best he could because he had this really crappy childhood when we're focusing on you and what happened in your house. Wow. So, yeah, see, the mindset and healing in, in, in a lot of therapies and a lot of new age stuff doesn't really understand that we're not trying to heal everybody all at once. We're trying to heal ourselves. Yeah. Why? Because that's the only person we actually can heal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Even if your mom did the best she could, even if she had to walk 10 miles to work every day and she baked homemade meals for you seven days a week and she sewed all your clothes and she sang you lullabies and she, she just tried so hard to do everything she could, but your dad was abusive emotionally or he was yelling at you or he was hitting you or he was abusing you and she stayed in that marriage it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter where she was at mentally and emotionally. That only matters to her for her own healing. But for you and for everyone listening, your inner children need healing. They need to heal that core mother wound. Otherwise, they will forever be seeking a mom energetically to come in and save them, to oh, fix yeah. that wound, to go back. Because our inner children live 100% in the past. And they're in our mind, in the present. So they're driving all of our decisions, all of our issues, all the blocks and obstacles we keep running into. That's our inner children. And they have deep mother wound. And they will continue to drive our decisions of self-sabotage, of failure to launch, failure to step out into our true power, lack of self-worth. And every relationship we get into, even with friends, you know, among women, best friends, even teachers, they will project that this person is going to somehow save me. This person is going to mother me. This person is going to nurture and protect me the way that my mother should have. Of course, we're not thinking this consciously. We're not sitting down one day and, and realizing that we're engaging in this kind of behavior because we operate most of the time from our cognitive brain, the brain that you know, you just have conversations with and you, you think, I understand concepts, I take classes, I read books, intellectually I grasp all of this. Yeah. But our inner children are still two and they're still five and they're still seven and they're still ten. Yeah. And they're stuck because the trauma kept them stuck and feeling not protected or not nurtured or not empowered or not initiated. They stay frozen. So... um 
let me ask you a question. So as far as like the inner inner children go, so say there's a particular age, does something generally happen at that age with even say they witness maybe the, you know, father yelling or something and the mother didn't do anything and then that does that part of them just get get broken off like part of their soul or their spirit or can you kind of describe that a little bit like what happens sure there's there's actually that's a great question um there's actually varying degrees of what happens from those severe traumas where people do experience soul fracture and would need to have a soul retrieval and this is just a safety mechanism it's not something woo-woo or weird it's like our body and soul so loving towards us and so wanting us to be able to survive and to survive childhood a lot of the time people have to have part of their soul fracture off and it is it remains safe away from the body in a way that doesn't have to continue experiencing um, some of the trauma that the child is going through and so we do have that kind of break off Um, in less severe and that would definitely be for any kind of sexual abuse physical abuse extreme emotional abuse berating that kind of thing Um, but it also creates a break in the psyche for even what we would consider not extreme Um, you know I have some clients that have great relationships with their moms and always did and you know for the most part they had really smooth sailing but in going back they're looking at wounding that started in infancy. I mean, that's how early it happens because if you think about it, when the baby's in the womb, everything's perfect. The baby has nurturing, they're, they're protected, they're in the womb, their food and hydration is instantaneous. They don't have to cry or ask for it. It's, it's instantaneous. And all their needs are being met without question. Once, once we make our entrance into the earth and the first time our mom doesn't pick us up when we cry or if we are having trouble breastfeeding and we can't breastfeed and we want the breast but we can't and that happens to women I mean that is you know and again a lot of mother wounding is definitely not intentional these aren't you know people trying to to cause harm but yet wounding happens every time a baby's put into a crib and crying and the mother's like you know what I'm just so exhausted I can't I can't pick her up right now that's abandonment Right, because we've gone from being having our needs met twenty four seven, literally, to mm-hmm. now, now we have to cry. Now we have to find a way to get attention. Now we have to find a way to make someone come to us in our time of need. And you know, there is no such thing as a baby or a child that is spoiled with love. There is no such thing. We can never get too much love. So when we're not getting it and we're not getting our needs met and as we get older, we're not having someone sit down eye to eye and listen to us, listen to our concerns because what's concerning to a two-year-old might be a broken box of crayons and you might have a parent saying, you know what, get over it. That's no big deal. Stop crying over this. It's a huge big deal at that age because at every age as our psyche is developing, we see the world fully in that moment. And in a two-year-old's mind, a box of broken crayons could be as much of a tragedy as someone you know dying, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Adults, yeah. yeah, adults rarely have that kind of conscious parenting presence to be with that child and understand, like, I get that you're in pain right now because your stuffed animal got washed by accident and this is traumatic. Um, it's kind of made a joke or it's made light of. And these are all the things that accumulate over time to create the wounding to where we feel, is anyone really there for us? Are, are we really loved? Like, does somebody really love me for who I am? Yeah. And that's our biggest fear, that we're not really lovable. 
fear of humanity right now. Are we really lovable? Does anyone really love us for who we actually are? And because of that wounding, the wounding conditions us to be afraid to express who we really are because we feel like, well, you know, as a child, I expressed being sad about my crayons, being sad about my stuffed animal that lost an eye in the washing machine or, um, getting a bad grade in, in when I was, you know, 10. And those seemed to bring negative reactions. My mom didn't really seem like she loved me. When I came home with the good report card, mommy had a big smile on her face and we had cake and a party because I had all A's. Over time, that conditions the brain and the mind to start changing and shifting who we really are, the sad person with the crayons and the, and the stuffed animal, and the happy mom with the good grades, we start changing our behavior to become like a person that we think is worthy of getting love. And we project that on our spouses, our friends. We're trying to constantly shift and change who we are so we believe we're worthy. And then a lot of the time we test our partners. We do things to sabotage a relationship. Um, Or we withhold love, we withhold sex, we withhold affection, we withhold uh, something to see, are they going to still love me if I I pull back? Let me see, let me test. Because we're always trying to get the unconditional love of the mother, which, you know, I would say 99.99999% of human beings did not get fully unconditional. Because unconditional literally means zero conditions. Like, I'm not upset with you if you fail. I'm not upset with you if you break all the china in the kitchen. Doesn't mean it's not wrong. Doesn't mean there can't be a consequence. But to bring it to the level of emotional discontent, a mother's Mm -hmm. disapproval, that is a core wound. And everyone's carrying it. And that's why in the world today, we see what we see. We see all the pain. We see the dysfunctional relationships. We see strained relationships between parents and children as adults. And it just goes nowhere until we heal that core wound. That's why it's so vital to heal that wound. Wow. It's wild how it's passed down generation to generation. I mean, even now seeing it with my little one, Mary, who is six months, you know, my mom comes over, (laughs) you know, and she's like, oh, you know, you know, she brings up the whole, you're spoiling her. You hold her too much. You know, you need to put her down. Oh, she knows how to work you. Oh, she knows she's, she's manipulative. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, and and I'm not trying to judge my mother at all in this, but just having the awareness that I have now, you know, and just seeing her reaction and how she comes over and brings this energy with her. It's really, it's really tough, really tough to see. And it also brings me back to my son and realizing the awareness that I didn't have with him and the difference six years ago to now and the work that I've done. So, yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you know, there are no such thing as manipulative babies. Um, (laughs) They need love. Um, They need constant love. I I, I babysat once. I did a lot of... um, nannying and babysitting as a a young teen and a teenager and I remember one time I I watched two infants, Joseph and Kevin and they were only three months apart but they were next door neighbors and I watched them all summer full time both their moms had full time jobs and you know as a teenager and I was asking my parents for a little bit of advice here and there and my dad said to me the one thing you never do is let them, don't ever let them cry, never, he's like they cry pick them up instantly, hold them, hug them rock them, sing to them, play with them they need to know that you're there at all times so that if, you, if they need love, they know it's there. They don't get insecure. They don't feel left alone or abandoned. Um, and 
So one of the days, the mom, one of the moms was home, and she saw me doing this, and she's like, I, I need to discuss something with you. Um, you can't be doing that. You can't be picking wow. them up all the time. And, you know, and I said, well, then I cannot be your babysitter. She almost, like, wow. she almost lost it because I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. And she's like, we pay you really good money. I'm like, I know that, but I, even if you triple it, I don't care because I'm not going to stand by and watch a baby cry. Wow. Like, and I explained to her how unhealthy that was. I mean, I was like 15 at the time. And um, and I said, and she always would say to me, oh, I admire you so much. I hope for my son to grow up and be a teenager like you. You're very level-headed and mature. And I, I said to her, you, you said you really appreciated how I was as a teenager. This is why. I'm telling you why. Like, you need to do this. <laughs> so, it was kind of funny. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's not intuitive. And I mean, most people grow up with mothers and grandmothers who were taught. There was a huge school in psychology, a school of thought, that said, you don't spoil a kid, and that spoiling means loving them. I mean, how crazy, if you think about how on earth could we be spoiled with love? Yes, can you buy your kids too much stuff to where they think that material things matter? Yeah, that's something that you could put in the category of spoiling. But love, there's, there isn't such a thing. There is no such thing as too much love. I mean, that is the most, my dad would say, he's like, I don't even know where that got planted in the mind of humanity, but it's crazy, crazy. Everybody needs more love. No matter if you're one month old or 100 years old, that is just crazy. And that is something that gets passed down in, in the lineage to where we fear giving too much love. I'm curious, you know, like just because my awareness has shifted so much since I had Silas, who is now six, you know, and then everything just went against my intuition. It went against what I knew. But, you know, even going to the pediatrician, he was like, okay, you guys aren't getting any sleep. He's six months old now. It's time you can just let him cry it out, you know? And that in my gut felt so wrong. But we were also at a point, it's no excuse, but, you know, we were exhausted. And it was like, okay, the pediatrician said this is healthy and we can do this. So we did do that with my son. You know, luckily, I don't luckily, not luckily, I don't know. He... I couldn't have handled it had he cried for more than a few minutes, but it's what happened. So I guess what my question is, is, you know, knowing what I know now, you know, I parent completely different and I'm very different with Mary, but you know, that damage has been done with my son. So what, what, is there any way to like, I want to say undo that or like work to, fix what's been broken in that way or is it just too late he's going to have to grow up and then deal with this as an adult himself no i mean there, there is absolutely a way that you can help ameliorate the wounding that is caused by that because you he's still young enough that you can and, and he's still very impressionable in terms of the growth of his brain you can overcome so much of that wounding by consistently loving, being there, answering him when he needs you, you know, let's say you're you're on your phone or doing something and he needs something from you, you know, showing him that he's more important than whatever it is that's on the phone. And yes, we have to have some boundaries and if it's work or you're, you know, let's say doing a podcast or something that can't have an interruption, you can put boundaries around those activities and specify that. But other than that, be fully available. If it's late at night and you feel like, God, he just needs to go to bed. I'm exhausted. He needs to go to bed. But he might need extra love. He might need an extra story. He might need extra nurturing that night. Give it to him and give more and give more love. And you'll find the more you do that, the less he'll need it. And that's the key thing. I think so many moms who are overwhelmed 
and they feel like, how can I possibly give more? I'm constantly being asked to give, 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 but we never deplete ourselves when we give love. It builds mm-hmm. us up and fills us up. So when we give love and we're present, it's, it's about being present with our children. When you're present with him and you give more love than you even think you have, it'll fill you back up and nourish you. And that's different than... You know, the mom would say, well, I'm making four different meals for four different kids. No one's eating the same thing. And then I'm cleaning and I'm doing my husband's laundry. That, that's a whole different issue because I would say the majority of moms that I work with um, are doing way too much. They're, they're taking on too much of the burden in a household. Um, they're, not, they're saying things like, I have to cook dinner for my husband, to which my response is, no, you do not. He's an adult. Um, if you're exhausted, depleted, that's not your job. That's not your role. Things need to be evenly metered out. Get the kids on, a, you know, in on doing some chores. So there's all of that kind of stuff, but that's a completely different category. When it comes to love, if our children need our presence, our eye contact, our hugs, more snuggling, more of a story, and we give it to them freely and without condition and without being frustrated about it, they'll need less of it because they'll feel secure. They'll feel like they have it, and they don't have to test so much. And and sometimes the hardest children to deal with can be the children that are getting the least love. Always when I have a mom who says, you know, out of my four kids, this one's this one's the worst. This one's the one that gives me the most, you know, heartache and trouble. I'm like, that's the one that needs more love, more attention. They're like, but I'm already giving so much attention. And I say, but not really. You're not giving them the attention that will make them feel loved. They need the attention that makes them feel loved and like they're not a problem. And that's how you can overcome any of the wounding that has happened from the crying it out, which, by the way, even scientifically now, there's brand new research that is proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that crying it out actually causes some level of brain damage, which, again, that can change also because the brain is plastic. We have neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, which means we're constantly making new neurons, especially children, and up until the age of about 21, that's like freely creating new neurons and neural pathways. So you can re adjust some of those neural pathways, you can create new pathways of love and unconditional love by just continuing to do that with him. And that will, um, over time, get rid of a lot of the already existing paradigm where he feels like he cried and no one came for him. So you're lucky because he's young, right? Yeah. And there's a lot that you can do. Yeah. yeah, I'm really grateful for that because honestly, that's been one of the hardest things for me to overcome, you know, the guilt that oh, I've yeah. carried you know, for just not knowing what I didn't know and, you know, and not trying to put any of the blame off myself. But I personally kind of feel like it's the way our society is set up now. Mothers don't have any support. You know, we're not in, these, we are not in these communities anymore. Mothers are set alone by themselves and they're like, okay, here, you're lucky because you get to be with your child, you know, yeah. take what you can get. You know, I've, I've heard that so many times because I've been able to be a stay at home parent oh, well, you should feel fortunate. I don't, you shouldn't have anything to complain about, about not having any help or, you know, and so I just think mothers feel very isolated and you just get to a point where you don't they know are. what to do. And, and, and let me just um, share a little bit about the history here because I think it's vital and it's something that I talk about in my mother wound class because I, I believe people need to know this so that they can release themselves of guilt. This is not about feeling guilty as mothers. It's the opposite. I mean, I'm a mom. I, you know, so many of my clients are moms. This is about helping women to understand. If we understand where this comes from and how we arrived at a point in our, in our history, our trajectory as human beings, how did we even get to this point? Then we can take blame off of ourselves, blame off of our mothers, but also accountability. 
accountable for what we're doing and change it. Hold our moms accountable for what they did so that we can acknowledge our pain and validate our inner children. So some of the history on this is that we all know we're living in a patriarchy. Yeah. And, of course, our, our mothers carry the patriarchy through the mother line, which is something very shocking to a lot of people. When they think patriarchy, they think it must be my dad and all the men in my life. But our mothers, by participating in subservient roles, mm-hmm. um, in deferring to the father, letting him make important decisions, even, even the act of automatically taking the husband's last name, which is a uh, something that not until I think it was 1971 or 72 that women were, quote, allowed to keep their own name. Wow. <laughs> you can even fathom. Um, I know, right? Mm-hmm. And that reason for that is because the law legally recognized that when you were married, you became property of your husband. And that's in this, kind, this country where we think we're so advanced, we're so, you know, empowered as women, we're so disempowered as women, as American women, because we, we think we're empowered and we're really not, especially within the home. So much disempowerment happens within the home. Mm-hmm. And so there's even more to it, though, because if you look at breastfeeding, breastfeeding disturbs the structure of a patriarchal culture because it fosters the physical and emotional attachment of infant and mother. Mm-hmm. So... Our civilization was built on um, inequality between individuals mm-hmm. and the belief that women are inferior to men. Now, if you think about it, a close mother with a baby, a mother and child who are close, and a mother who is nurturing and she's with her child all the time and there's closeness and connection, that is going to be the single most powerful influence on that child. And I, I know I can say for myself, because I homeschool my children, who are now 16 and 11, they were both breastfed, we're with them all the time. And my children, including my 16-year-old daughter, she comes to me as her influence. She has friends who are starting to, to smoke weed and drink alcohol and go off in all these directions, and she comes to me for her source of information. Why? Because I'm the most influential person in her life. That's not an advantage to a patriarchal society that wants to have control over your mind, have control over your life, put you into the workforce, put you into the machine, put you into the matrix, right? So this belief that women are inferior to men can only be perpetuated if the influence of mothers on their children is negated. So if you look even deeper, you'll see deeper manipulations of the mother-child bond within the patriarchal feminist movement. So what people think, feminist, I'm a feminist, yes, you know, the future is female. But that's actually a movement born out of the patriarchy, and it's very deceptive. Because they encourage women to separate from their children, to disconnect from their children, even to go so far as being antagonistic to the needs of their children. Mm-hmm. And almost a, a vilifying or a, a cursing or a disgust at women who connect with their natural nurturing. Nurturing biological mother mothering establishes that every single being is precious, every single individual is important and special, and we become equal in each other's eyes because we're nurtured by our moms. So there's a need in the patriarchy to eliminate the mother-infant attachment, and you know, it's, I mean, even if you go back as far as Plato, which, I'm, you know, not everybody's really into reading Plato, but famous, famous, you know, philosopher who wrote something called The Republic, and he actually says, he actually establishes what he calls ideal infant care 
um, where he says that they should be separate, children should sleep separate from their parents, um, they should be away so that a bond doesn't form that's too deep, um, and they should not be recognizing mother and child, there should not be any breastfeeding, um, it won't extend for too long, and they don't really want that because it's, there's no place for mother love in, in a male-dominated slave society, which of course started with, with ancient Greece. So they started this concept of wet nursing, and I'm sure you've both heard of wet nursing yeah. at some level, but it was a recognized profession throughout all of civilization in ancient Rome. Wet nurses would gather together and sell their services. Um, wet nurses are talked about in the Bible, the Code of Hammurabi, Greek and Roman literature, I mean, all the way, 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 way back. And it made biological nurturing moms not necessary. And then mothers could go out and fulfill the patriarchal roles and separate from their children. And this just take this all the way up, this thread up to present day, yeah. where it's this, what we call the mommy wars. Is this going to be a mom who works and doesn't nurture her children or doesn't work and she's lazy because she's not working and she's just, quote, just a stay-at-home mom? And just all women, it doesn't matter which, which road you're on, which path you've taken, it doesn't matter. You're wrapped up in it and you're caught up in it. And it's like no matter what you choose, you're not right. No matter what you choose, you're not good enough. And that's a fake paradigm. That's what has been set up mm. to make women believe that no matter what, they're just, they're just a failure. That keeps women very, very conveniently disempowered. It perpetuates the patriarchy. Women and their children have you know, very challenging relationships as their kids get older. And the cycle goes on and on and on until somebody says, enough, enough, this is enough. I'm not buying this anymore. And I say to women all the time, the only way this is going to stop is if you stop participating in it. We're not relying on men to stop participating in it. They've done nothing wrong either. They're caught up in it too. Yeah. But only women can stop playing that game. And until each and every woman stops playing that game, it's going to continue. Wow. And healing the mother wound is healing the mother wound is the way to stop playing that game. So, would you say to? I mean, this is what I'm hearing you say. I just want to um, just you know ask it just to be sure. All of our you know the core feelings of unworthiness, right? That we all have, like at the core this truly stems from this wounding would you is that absolutely correct? absolutely because if you if you come into this existence this dimension in into your mother's womb and in there you're for 40 weeks fully immersed in human contact warmth right. nutrition and you're you're growing without even without even a second thought and then you come into this life as your independent self, separate from your mother's body. Mm. And from day one, you begin to be rejected on some level, micro-rejections. And, you know, some people think, well, that's ridiculous. The mother can't carry the baby all the time and sleep with the baby and breastfeed the baby. But it is just a fact that the more we're distanced from our children, or we were distanced from our mothers, the deeper the wounding gets. And that turns into this, I... And not worthy of being loved. And ideally, what we learn from our mother and our father is the love of the creator, which is unconditional. The, the creator, the being God, goddess, however you want to refer to the infinite intelligence that created 
everything, the stars, the planets, us, animals, everything. That is pure love. Yeah. Creator is pure love, unconditional. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, what you think you've failed at, what you look like, how much money you have. You're just loved. Everyone is loved at the core. Most people don't believe that. Most people have to have it proven to them because that kind of love wasn't modeled by our parents. And the role of a parent is to model the unconditional love of mother, father. And that's, that's the perfect trinity. It's mother, father, child. Wow. But because of wounding, they can't give that. You can't love someone unconditionally if you don't feel unconditionally loved. It's just not possible. We cannot give ever what we don't have. And so as hard as they may try and their version of love, there's almost always some conditions on that love. And we grow up feeling we're not worthy because of that. Because if our own mothers can't fully love us unconditionally, my gosh, no one can. How could anyone else possibly really value and think we're worthy and love us if our own mother doesn't? And again, this is mostly happening at a very deep subconscious level in the reptilian brain because... A lot of people will say, well, I know my mom loves me. Again, that, you know, she did the best she could. Completely irrelevant because yeah. as a child in the first seven years of your life, you're living in what's called a hypnagogic state. Your brain waves are very much like what our brain waves would be in deep meditation. Much slower. We're a sponge between the ages of zero and seven. And we are fully in the moment. We don't have a past and a future when we're children. We're in each moment. And in each moment when we're not receiving love and nurturing and protection, we are absorbing that tenfold. It'd be like when you're doing, if you've ever listened to like binaural tones or you're doing any kind of deep meditation, your brain waves slow down and they call it super learning because you can actually absorb so much more. You can make your uh, prosperity affirmations much more powerful, right? Because your brain waves will accept it more and, and slowing down the brain waves relieves some of the blocks to that kind of thing. Well, when you're a child, you're in that. You're in that 24-7 from, from ages zero to seven. So you're fully absorbing the, I'm doing something wrong. Mom's not happy with me. I spilled the juice all over the floor and broke the glass, and she's very angry. So I'm bad. I did something to make mom angry, and we empower ourselves as children with the force of we're responsible for everything. I, I made mom angry. I made mom sad. I made mom uh, yell. I made mom go in the bedroom and shut the door and ignore me. This is all internalized as we did something wrong because we really only see ourselves as the center of the universe when we're children and we're in that hypnagogic state. So we absorb it and we absorb it deeply. It becomes a core wound that carries with us for the rest of our lives if and until we heal that wound because it's not wounding who we really are. Never, Nothing can ever touch the light of who we truly are, which is we are infinite intelligence and, and unconditional love. But we have to peel away all the layers that hide that. And that's what happens with the wounding. The wounding doesn't break who we are. It just adds layers and layers and layers of this unnecessary junk on top of us. And we have to chip away and peel away at that so we get back to revealing who we truly are. And that's why honesty and looking at mother wound with, with honesty is so is so important and understanding that it's not about blame. It's not about trying to punish someone for what they did. It's about being real, getting real, and healing something that just serves no purpose for ourselves personally or collectively. So I'm curious, you know, like going back to Mary. Mary is six months old, and she's pretty much an extension of me. 
it's very rare that I don't have her in my arms. I don't at the moment. And even for most of my podcasts, I do have her. Um, but, but I tell myself at those times when I don't have her, which is few and far between, you know, she's with someone who she's getting love from this person, you know? And so am I, am I wounding her by, uh, by separating myself from her at this point in time? Or is she, you know, she's still feeling love. So she's, a, it's okay. There's no damage being done. I'm just curious yeah, to the I, extent of this. Yeah. I, I see energetically with children, if you're, if they're getting the majority of their love and affection and attention from their parents, their mother specifically, and then they're not being um, neglected in any way. It's not like, okay, I have this podcast. I'm going to stick her in a playpen with some toys. She cries, you know, that's okay. Cause I have this podcast. That would be not great. That, that would be wounding. But if she's with somebody that's playing with her and engaging her and she's she's not needing you, she, that's okay, too, because we do, as the older we get, you know, even in infancy, we become more independent. We don't need as much from our mothers as, as we do. You know, that, that changes over time. We don't need as much. Um, and, the, in fact, the more secure we are, the less we need. And that's perfectly fine. It's really we, – we get the wounds when we are – not getting our needs met when we're not when we need nurturing and we're not getting it when we need a hug and we're not getting the hug when we need um, somebody to soothe us if we're crying and we're not getting soothed so um, no that's not creating wounding if it's just because it's not you if it's you sound like you're doing it the majority of the time and yeah. and it's okay for her to have that um, independence from you as long as her needs are getting met during that time because she's still a baby right so she still needs to get her needs met and can't discuss that verbally other than, you know, sounds that she would make crying or whatever she does to get attention. Well, what about mothers who, you know, I feel like this is part of the overall, you know, war against the mother-child relationship. You know, if you're a working mom, you get, maybe if you're lucky, you get three months and then you have to go back to work. Which yes. I, I find that to be completely insane, personally. It's insane. Um, but is that, does that contribute to the wounding? Of course. I mean, we don't have a society that, again, because it's not in the interest of the patriarchy, we don't have a society that wants to support mothers in their nurturing role of motherhood. That's that's not what's happening in society. And so women have largely been um, convinced to think that it's so important that we have careers and that's better. And a lot of women, that goes against their natural instinct and... They separate at a very young age because that's what our society promotes. And um, that was fully my plan, just to kind of let you know my intention. Uh, My first child was born 16 years ago, um, and I was working 70 or 80 hours a week. I was a corporate attorney at the largest law firm in the world. I did mergers and acquisitions. These were like 50, 60, 70 billion dollar deals. And I was working all the time. Got pregnant um, intentionally. My husband and I decided to have a child. And the work throughout my whole pregnancy, and I had friends, colleagues who were women, very successful. Some were partners already at the firm, and they would have their baby, take those three months off, and then come right back to work. And then it was full time daycare, and I thought, okay, that's that's what I'm going to do. That's you know, I'm doing that. Um, it seemed to make the most sense. My career was important to me. Huge income, huge prestige, everything that went along with that. And then I had my daughter. And she was born a month after 9-11. We were actually in New York on 9-11. I was eight months pregnant with her. And 
I had three months off, of course took that. Then I took another three months off because I had unused vacation time. Not a shocker given the, <laughs> the environment that I was in. So now we're, now we're going on six months. And I just felt completely in love with her. And I felt all these feelings I didn't even know existed. And I went back to work after the six months. And I lasted a couple weeks. My husband would bring, he decided, we decided as a couple, he was going to quit his job and stay home and be a stay-at-home dad. We already, we, you know, my, my income was huge. We didn't need to have daycare. And we already agreed as a couple, there's no daycare, no childcare, no babysitters. That's going to be her parents. And I, I felt mentally like that was going to be okay for me. Um, it was her dad. He adored her. And he would bring her to my office every day so I could breastfeed her. And then I had the pump, and I'm in the bathroom at work, and I'm pumping, and I'm breastfeeding and trying to take calls and just feeling so out of whack with everything that was going on, um, you know, hormonally and your body changes, everything, you know, because you're both moms. And I, I just cried one day at my office. It was like maybe 7 o'clock at night. I wasn't home yet, of course, because this was my job. And... Um, you know, I called my husband. He's like, well, I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring her in. I'll bring her in so you can see her. So he would bring her in, and I'm hugging her. And I just broke down. I called my dad. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I, and he's like, yes, you do, honey. And I'm like, no, I really don't. And he's like, are you happy? And I said, well, obviously not. So I'm crying if I'm calling you. <laughs> and he's like, okay, so you're not happy. And I said, no. He's like, so what did I always teach you since you were like one? I'm like, I don't, I don't remember. He's like, you remember. <laughs> he said, if you're, if you're not happy, stop. That's it. He said, if you're not happy, stop. Why, why would you continue doing something that in your heart you're not happy with? And I go, I start, you know, going on this whole mental thing of, well, it's my career and I make a lot of money and I'm almost going to be a partner and then I'm really successful. And he's like, stop. Are you happy? I said, no. And he's like, well, that's all I can tell you. Stop what you're doing. Wow. And I quit. That was it. I quit. I never looked back. Every single person told me I was insane, crazy, um, making a big mistake, teaching my daughter that um, you can't be an empowered woman and be a mom. Like, I was being a bad role model. I mean, I was everything under the book. Everybody that I worked with said I was crazy. I probably had postpartum depression. And I just kept going back to my gut. Am I happy? And then when I was home with her and I was playing and I was, I was getting to see her, you know, do these first things, like the first time she laughed or the first time she grabbed for something with her hand, you know, that used to get reported to me over the phone by my husband, I was now seeing it. And I had seen it for six months because I was home with her for six months. And then these few weeks that I went back to work, I was absolutely miserable. And I just went with my heart. I was like, I have no idea what I'm gonna do for money, what I'm gonna do for a job. I'm walking away from, from this education, this career. Like, I know this is all crazy, but I have to go with my heart because that's the only real thing we have as human beings. And that was drilled into me from childhood from my, from my dad. That was the thing. And he reinforced it for me in my moment of weakness, in my moment of questioning myself, in all the messaging from society, how everything I was doing was wrong and it was bad and I was setting a bad example. And, and I did it. And, you know, here I am 16 years later. It was the best decision of my life. And I'm actually, my career is actually my authentic path now. And I have been able to be with my children. But that was, every bit of it was excruciatingly hard because nothing in society supports that. Nothing in society helps women 
in any way, not financially, not emotionally. Um, it's like I said before, no matter what you choose as a mother, it seems to be wrong. It seems to be not the right thing. It seems to be, it's not good enough. Yeah. Because we don't have a society that promotes a nurturing role between mother and child. And the women, believe me, the women that I worked with at my law firm were much more critical of me than the men. The men were like, oh, I understand, you know. The women, are you crazy? You're a powerful woman. You're making seven-figure income. You're, like, what are you doing? You're, this is horrible. Like, you're one of us. I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I'm just like, you know, in my mind, I mean, I never wanted to say anything mean or rude to them, so I didn't because it wouldn't have changed anything anyway. But in my mind, I thought, you know what? You're not happy. You have no, your kids are teenagers now. They want nothing to do with you. They're using drugs and alcohol. Like, if that's what my future looks like by choosing this, I'm running as far and as fast in the other direction as I can. And I did. And I I literally, I went 6,000 miles away to Hawaii and moved to the middle of nowhere um, with my infant. Um, because I, I just, I'm like, that can't be, that can't be the outcome of my life. I'm not going to be that. That's not going to be me. And it was not easy. And I, and I say that because I have a lot of clients who say to me, you know, I, I didn't make that choice. I made a choice that wasn't good and they feel bad about themselves, but you have to understand that I had massive support from my family, from my parents. My dad like constantly encouraged that. I at the time, I had enough in savings that I could leave for Hawaii, and at least for a time being, I could live off of my savings so I didn't have to work immediately, but my husband and I didn't have to worry about money immediately. Eventually, we did. I mean, I didn't have enough to live off of for the rest of my life, um, but it was enough that it gave me a cushion to regroup, refocus, and get get going on a path that aligned with my path of motherhood, because I don't believe that the path of motherhood is inconsistent with the path of being your authentic self. They're not mutually exclusive. You can be both. You just can't be it in the way that society tells you you can be it. Yeah, yeah. Right? If you carve your own path, then you can be that. But it's, but it's very, very difficult to get the support we need as women to be able to do that because we don't live in communities. We don't have other moms helping each other out with new businesses and helping with childcare and, and having husbands who are on board with childcare. Having husbands understand that when you're a father, childcare is part of that. That means changing diapers. That means, you know, doing dishes, cooking meals. That That's not all, quote, mother stuff. Right. That's family stuff. Yeah. And until women get their husbands on board with that, that's not going to change either because women are still trying. I know women who work full-time jobs, they come home, they still have the primary duties in the house. They're still cooking. They're still doing laundry. They're still, you know, doing their kids' homework. That, that can't, that can't, that's not sustainable. That's not the way it can, it can work. And this all comes from mother wound. This all comes from this belief that we just aren't enough. And if we just do more, do a little bit more, you know, we can be these women who have it all and do it all. Wow. And that's just not, that's not real. That's not real. We have to bust that myth. I saw a, um, a post the other, in fact, I wrote about this, I think a week or so ago on my Instagram, a picture of a mom who had gone through, it was a, somebody, he was a celebrity, an actor of some kind, and his wife had been through an excruciating labor, emergency C-section, almost bled to death, had to get a blood transfusion, goes into a coma, wakes up, and he takes a photo of her smiling in in the hospital bed, like, you know, hours after this whole thing, trauma happened to her, 
And the caption was, she's so amazing. She's smiling even with everything that happened. And isn't she so great and wonderful? She, it's amazing how she can do everything. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how horrific. This woman behind that smile is a trauma in which she almost lost her life. She gave birth to a child under extreme traumatic emergency situations. And he's like congratulating her for smiling for a photo. It's like that is the epitome of what women have been taught to believe we must do. And that comes from our mothers because they believe the same thing. And our grandmothers believe the same thing. And it's never enough because under the patriarchy, a woman will never be enough. That's why cosmetics companies make billions. Plastic surgeons make billions, you know, collectively, not individually, but because it's nothing we ever do is going to be enough if we keep playing by these rules. We just have to stop this game. And the first step is to heal the mother wound, claim our power back and start helping each other. I love that. I mean, it's just resonating. And I mean, I find myself right now just like through that, (laughs) through this, just getting emotional myself. Just, it's just really powerful. I mean, from a daughter point of view and a mother point of view at the same time, it's really, um, really resonating on so many, in so many ways. And, you know, one of the things I thought about as well in this is even when we have sons, right? And the first thing they do with our sons is take them in for circumcision. Um, you know, I know this could be a whole yes. topic, but I mean, wow, like the trauma there, even for the mother and for the, yeah. for the child as well. Yes. I mean, it's like a whole other level. Oh, there's, I've, I've done a lot of writing on the issue of circumcision for the last six years, and I actually have done a huge amount of research on that exact issue. Um, I've always been an anti-circumcision advocate. My son is not circumcised. He's 11. Um, and that was, a, you know, a discussion I had to have with my husband before he was born. And um, luckily I had binders and binders of research. That's <laughs> where my lawyer background comes in. <laughs> um, but, but but a lot of psychological research is connecting um, sexual violence, a sexual assault, rape, sort of the rape culture to circumcision because it's the first connection that a boy makes between sex and violence. And, of course, there are many things that, contribute to that, including pornography being one of the worst, but, you know, it's not, it's not the be-all and end-all, it is kind of that starting point, and in many civilized countries around the world, circumcision is not performed anymore, um, and, you know, many more doctors here are admitting and realizing this is not, it's definitely not a necessity, it's, it's a natural part of the human body, it diminishes sexual pleasure for men later in life when they have had the foreskin removed. There's huge groups of men now that are trying to restore the foreskin. There's actually, like, procedures for that. Um, And, yeah, there's just a lot of research on the pain. That is extreme trauma because they're going in unanesthetized and strapped to a board. And regardless of, you know, there's many different procedures, but you're exactly right. That is a trauma. And for most mothers, every mother I've ever talked to, when they hear their baby scream like that, if they're in the room when it happens, it's like a blood-curdling scream, and they feel instantaneously immense guilt, even though everyone around them is saying, oh, it's okay, he'll be fine in a few minutes, everybody gets this done. At the gut, we know. Like, as moms, we know. Like, it, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I mean, we may go along with these cultural behaviors, but we know in our gut something is not right, kind of like what, what Jess was saying about hearing the baby cry, and it just it doesn't feel right. And we, we feel that, but we're 
talked out of it because of everybody around us. And it's, it's also big business. Um, there's a lot of money being made on these procedures. And so the baby is abandoned and physically traumatized within, you know, moments, hours, or days of birth. And for boys, that is a huge wound. And so, um, again, nothing for any mom to feel guilty about. I know I have moms who have three sons and three or four are circumcised and the last one isn't because by the time the last one was born, they had done research. And yeah. you, you, can't, you can't change the past. You can only forgive and, and release and heal and just make different choices and then educate people, educate other moms. You know, I'm always talking about circumcision with moms who are pregnant because I think it's something once they look into, they'll come to the same realizations that I came to. And, um, but there's just so much. We're being bombarded from so many different angles. We have to step away from all the noise and get in touch with our true heart as women, as mothers. And most important, we have to support each other because we've gotten to where we're at in so many different ways with different levels of support, different levels of uh, education and finance and upbringing and religion, whatever it is that we come to when we get to the point where we come together as women and we can't sit in judgment. We can't say, oh, you didn't breastfeed. Oh, oh, your son is circumcised. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you work full time. What's wrong with you? Oh, you're home all day with your kids. Like, that's, that's a bad word. Whatever it is, we have to just stop all of that. Yeah. And we have to look at healing ourselves to the place where we can love ourselves unconditionally. Because once we do that, we're unstoppable. When you love yourself unconditionally and you're not seeking validation of your worthiness anymore from any outside source you're unstoppable you're not going to be plugged into the patriarchy you're not going to succumb to the matrix because you just won't buy the lie that you're defective because you already know that you're not right right well and oh my gosh you know this could open up a whole other can of worms (laughs) which we won't go into today i mean even like through traditional dogmatic religion all these things right like born and oh yeah these things which Absolutely. Maybe for another day, but um, but like, um, I I just um, this is just it's just so powerful. And and from what again, like what I hear you saying is that in order to truly be unaffected by you know like you know the the women I work work with as well too, like I really feel like it, the common thread is you know we're all afraid to step out and really live our purpose because what would everyone else think? You know, yeah. and, and so from what I hear you saying is that this is the way to heal that. Like we can do all the work that, you know, other things, shadow or, you know, whatever we want to go. But until this core wound is healed, that will always be in the back of our minds. Always. It'll always be the thing that blocks you from your true path. Gotcha. Because we're always seeking it outside of ourselves. Yeah. Always. always seeking always seeking that approval, that yeah. validation, that yeah. love that our inner children are yeah. are not getting. They don't have it. And and the thing about it is that it's a it's a fruitless pursuit because no one outside of us can ever love our inner children. Our children had an opportunity to be loved by the adults who raised us. But once we chronologically age and grow up those inner children only exist within our mind, within our reptilian brain, that old part of our brain that holds on to all experiences and traumas. And so they're unreachable by people on the outside. Even if you have the best partner in the world and the best friend in the world and they love you and they adore you, that's the adult you that they're reaching. They still can't reach the inner child. So until we do that work ourselves and 
heal those children and let them know that they're loved. It doesn't matter who we have around us as teachers, as friends, as spouses, as whatever. It's not, it's not going to reach what needs to be reached, and that can only happen through our internal healing. Yeah, I think it's really just so important because I, you know, I've done some work with you outside of the podcast and, you know, and I thought I was in this place of where I thought, oh, you know, I've forgiven, I've moved on, you know, this stuff isn't hanging over me, not realizing that I hadn't addressed that inner child, that I hadn't gone back, you know, my adult self had forgiven, but I had not consulted (laughs) the inner child on how she was feeling about all this, you know, and I think that's such an important step that so many people are missing in this. So it's just so valuable to have you on here today, really going through all this. I'm glad you brought that up. It's so important. I I really feel that that's the key missing piece. And I said to another client earlier in the week, um, because she said, well, I I can understand why my mother did this. I can understand why my... And I said, yes, of course you can. We both can have a very rational, intellectual discussion about why they did the things they did. But let me tell you, stop yourself in your tracks when you start going down that road because... Mm -hmm to your inner children, that's just one more adult rationalizing their pain, rationalizing and justifying and excusing the trauma and the pain that was done to them. It's just another adult saying, yeah, see, this is why they did this. It's okay. It's not okay to that child that was wounded. They need love. They need nurturing. They need validation of their worthiness, and then they can be set free. It's almost like re wounding you know if we say well it's okay like it's fine it is. it's done with it's exactly it's, what it is yeah yes. it's like saying the same thing that this three-year-old heard when their box of crayons was broken and the mom was like it's no big deal just get over it you know you're fine exactly yeah. yes yes you got that exactly mm-hmm. right wow so yeah. so i know you have a mother wound class on your website mm-hmm. which is leanna Sh- you know Sh- <laughs> leannashanti.com and we'll put that uh-huh. on the on the um, notes. But what are some of the topics? I guess can you kind of go through some of the topics of the class that, that people will actually work through if they did this class? Sure. We um, we definitely we go over the roles, of course, the four main roles of of mothering. Okay. We go over the different types of mother wound. There's many different types of mother wounding, um, ranging from, you know, if you had a narcissistic mother, an emotionally distant mother, a mother who was disempowered by the father, um, a mother who was self-focused, abusive mothers, alcoholic mothers, eating disorders, you know, we go through all those kind of things. We also go through the way that mother wound shows up in your life. Um, we hit on some very, very specific topics of addiction and, um, you know, sexual relationships and the way our partnerships form, um, you know, career, money, blocks to financial prosperity. We cover all the areas that mother wound could possibly show up in. And that way, um, as you're going through the program, you hear the things that resonate the most with you. Then there's some Q&A calls that we have that are part of the program. And you listen to the questions and the answers. And the, the Q&A parts are really helpful because um, people really go deep into what's coming up for them after hearing the material, and it resonates with so many people. I've gotten so many people saying, like, oh, when I heard this person ask that question, I had that exact question in my mind. Um, we go into that. We go into how the patriarchal line comes through our mother, and we talk very importantly about what's called breaking the mother line. Um, dysfunctional systems have to be broken and torn down so new ones can be built from a strong foundation. Um, so when we go through that process, we're breaking the patriarchal threads 
within our own mother line, within our own lineage, and that's necessary for healthy, empowered adulthood. Um, so we, we go through how to do that, how to do that actual process. Um, we talk about the loss of self, all the things we've lost, our gifts, our talents, things that we were afraid to outshine our mother with, especially that pertains particularly to women. Um, the gifts that we feel we couldn't be more successful than our mothers, more powerful, more gifted, have better relationships, uh, the things we set aside in, um, you know, in order to protect our mothers from, from feeling bad. Um, and so we actually go into all of that and we do some energy work, we do some um, meditation exercises to get in touch with the inner children and ultimately very practical, pragmatic steps to healing because I'm all about, um, you know, being real, doing what's going to actually change your actual life because we get lots of information from the ethers and from, you know, the causal plane and spirituality and we're evolving our souls and we have to talk about ascension, but we also have to always remember that we're anchored on planet Earth and we are human beings having a human experience in this dimension and it's critical that no matter what the teaching is, that it have a practical application and that's Every program I do, to me, at the end of the day, I'm like, what is this that people can use from this right now, today, if they commit to doing the work? How can this change their life? Will it change their life? And, and it absolutely will. If you do the work, that's what you, you get. You get the actual steps to take so you can change your life. But, you know, you have to do the program. I mean, I do, I will say, I've had people <laughs> tell me, well, I, I was, it became very emotional by session two and I stopped it weeks ago. I'm like, okay, well, that I can't, I can't help you with. You know, maybe, maybe have an accountability partner or a friend that you go through with it, to, you know, together you both do it and, <laughs> and keep each other on track. But, um, but if you do it, you will absolutely have very practical steps where you can put into practice immediately to heal this wound and, and free yourself, free yourself from this heavy burden and finally step out into your light. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I know we're, um, you know, almost coming to that, to that time, but I do have one more question. Like, what if you have mm -hmm. older kids, you know, like I have a 13 year old daughter and a 12 year old son and almost nine year old son. So, you know, what advice do you give, I guess, for, you know, or do you have for, for that, you know, as far as trying to remedy, you know, those, um, those wounds? Always presence and connection. When you realize that there may be these wounds there, you shift your presence, you shift your state of being into one that is much more connected with that older child. So if you have a, a teenager, um, you spend the time to actually eye contact, just just the two of you, listen to what they have to say, um, let them know, be honest, say, you know, as a mom, I love you so much, and I'm working on aspects of myself that need healing, and in that process, I've made some mistakes, and I would love for you to show me what you see as mistakes, or show me what you feel I could do better as a mother. Um, you know, what, what can I do for you? What would make you feel more loved? Is there anything I can, that's the best question anyone can ever ask a kid, especially an older child. What can I do to make you feel more loved? I have adult children who are clients, you know, they're not children anymore, but they're in their 30s, and I tell them, you know, say that to your mother. Here's what you can do to make me feel more loved. You know, sometimes the mothers can do that, and sometimes they say, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go back into the past. But if your child is a teenager and they're still living with you, then you have a huge blessing and opportunity to say that, to say, what can I do 
to make you feel more loved. And for every person, it'll be different. It could be, I want one night a week just me and you, or I want more hugs, or um, can you listen to this music that I just downloaded because I want you to kind of know what I listen to. It could be anything. And just be open to that because ultimately, just remember that one thing. It makes it so simple. Everyone just wants more love. And, and especially teenagers. I mean, they're at the perfect stage for you to ask that question. And they might not know in the beginning. If they're not used to that kind of dialogue, a teenager might say, I don't know, nothing. You know, like that kind of attitude thing. Um, but the more you get them comfortable with expressing what their needs are mm-hmm. and you don't get annoyed or mad or frustrated, the safer they'll feel expressing those needs. And then you can meet them however they need you to meet them, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It'll be different for, for every child, you know, and, and that's what's so, so important. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, and I just, I love just, you know, it's just really about being, having that connection and presence and really, the lessons that I've been shown recently are that being truly present is love. That is where we can Absolutely. be in love. And, and it's just truly, literally like setting, settling into that, like completely being present. And, and it's the hardest place for all of us to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's where, that's where the magic is, you know? And if we can get there and I mean, we can, but you know, if we allow ourselves to just, settle into that and let go of, you know, everything that's preventing us, you know, to be there. And so I just, yeah, I mean, I love that. Um, that's, that's really amazing. Such valuable, valuable information. This is so good. Yeah. (laughs) This is such valuable and just wisdom. I mean, it's not even information, it's wisdom, you know, and I just thank you so much for um, for sharing all of this, and we'll have your website in the notes as well for people that you know are interested in learning more about the class that you have and illuminations and so many other things that you that you offer you know on your website. And I saw that you you changed up your website; it looks so new and fresh, and I love it. I did. So. Yeah, I'm actually I'm in the process of working on it, doing making some changes this year for 2018. I'm always growing myself and, you know, have to practice what I preach. <laughs> so. Yes, we do, don't we? <laughs> so I love it. And um, I, love there's more, there, I love that there's more pictures of you on there, too, because yeah. um, it's just nice to, you know, I just, I love that. So, um, but yeah, so we'll have your website in the notes as well. And um, we just thank you so yeah. much for sharing your wisdom. And um, I, this is just, everyone needs to hear this and we need to, like, this, everyone needs to hear this. So that's, I guess that's open, right? So people that are willing. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's, it's really, it's a blessing and a a joy because honestly, the more people that heal themselves and love themselves, it's just, that's the kind of world I want my children to live in. So it's, it's truly an honor for me, honestly. Well, thank you. Well, we honor you. you. So thank you very much. All right.